the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Many men try and fail. Very few try and succeed. John and Chad, you have success. Over the last five years, a million listeners a year to Two Man Power Trip. This voice may be familiar. Tully Blanchard, one of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Fame Four Horsemen, the greatest group in professional wrestling. And guys, I'm looking forward to the next five years. Go get them. This is Tito Santana, WWE Hall of Famer. Congratulations on five years of the two-man power trip. Take care of yourself. Arriba! Hey, congratulations to my podcast partners that control the two-man power trip empire. Other places that they go and talk, Eyes Up Here, J.J. Dillon. Once in a while, they call in the guy named The Franchise. Uh, congratulations. This is the hardcore icon, Just Incredible. And I want to say congratulations to the two-man power trip on five years of kick-ass podcasting. Now, that's not just the coolest, and that's not just the best. Congratulations on five years. That's just incredible. It's the Queen of Extreme Francine, and I am here to congratulate Chad and John on five years. Five years! That's longer than some relationships. That's longer than some wrestling with people in the business. But, uh, yeah, seriously, I, I've loved working with you. I hope we get to a five-year milestone, and um, here's to another five years. This is J.J. Dillon, the leader of the Four Horsemen. I want to offer my congratulations for a five-year anniversary to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? This is Kalen Croft. Former WWE superstar and one half of the tag team, the Dude Busters. How does one come up with a name Dude Buster? Well, that's a story for another time. What I'm here to say is congratulations to my guys at the two-man power trip of wrestling. Five years going. Five years running strong. This is my favorite group of podcasting guys, my favorite guys to talk about the wrestling business with. Congratulations. Here's to many, many more. Keep up the fantastic work. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else. Oh! Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very 
rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time. And I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Well, look, Mean Gene, I can't beat beef. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Jazz, the two-man power trip of wrestling. What kind of a transformation? What are you talking about, man? Man, I'm telling you, Holmes, it is going to shock the world of professional wrestling, and it's going to happen tonight. Well, let's not keep everybody in suspense. Make it happen, Slick. Behold! And behold! A king! A king? A king? Wait a minute, Slick. Wait a minute. 430, 450 pounds. I recognize this man as the one-man gang. No, 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 no. This is a key. Don't you ever refer to him as the one-man gang again. Hey, wait a minute, one-man gang? You think hey, I just got hey, off the... Then you hear me, you thick-headed fool. From now on, I will be known as a key. I'm reborn tonight, the greatest night in history. I didn't just get off the turnip truck, I know better. Listen, man, Chrome Dome, didn't you hear what the big man just said? This is the greatest night in wrestling history. I told you it was going to shock the world of professional wrestling. And just look at him. Has he ever talked? He's a new man Man, I'm a new man, Mean Gene Okerland. You understand what's going down tonight? You don't really understand the impact this is going to have on professional wrestling, do you, brother? I, I really don't. I, I don't know if I want to get into this. It's time to go, bro. Certainly no more one-man gang. It will be intriguing, though, to see the progress of Akeem. For the World Wrestling Federation, this is Special Report. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the five-year anniversary show of our two-man power trip of wrestling flagship interview podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP, John Paz, and by God, sitting in this chair for five years, introducing interview after interview preparing for interview after interview uh it's kind of crazy to rub my eyes uh wipe the sweat from my brow 
and look back five years into the past to see uh, just what this crazy freaking podcast world has become. Uh, and before we get into the, uh, the the topic at hand, which is today's interview with, uh, I don't know, one of our dream guests, the One Man Gang, a.k.a. Akeem, the African Dream just going to wrap a little bit about uh, the last five years, a little history, and then we will get into a, um, I don't know, John, what would you say? Like one of the more anticipated interviews in our entire history. Uh, but here we go, man. Five years. Holy shit. Has this been a crazy ass ride? <laughs> Unbelievable. It's crazy to think how fast these five years have just flown by and how many great interviews we've had and so much fun. And you're right, so many hours of prep and research and going over stuff and trying to find the right guests and trying to nail them down for a certain time and, you know, all the hiccups and headaches and all the other things that are involved with putting this show together. But have been very successful these last five years. I feel like we just keep getting bigger and bigger, better and better as each year goes by. And I just think about... You know, all the favorite interviews or all the great interviews, all the stuff that we've had so much fun doing and all the guys that we've had so much fun. So many dream guests that we've had on so many big names. And then you got the elusive guys or the rare guys or the up and comers or the absolute Hall of Famers, the absolute legends. A lot of the guys that have passed away, they're just absolute legends and icons in this business that we've had the honor and privilege of interviewing for the show. It's just been a, one hell of a wild ride. It's crazy, and the amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes is, like, insane, and, and over five years, you know, so many different interviews that we've been able to take part in, so many different interviews that have almost taken place that kind of fell by the wayside, uh, but just the, the ins and outs of running the podcast and, and to see what we've grown into over, especially the last year, is, like, out of this world, but just thinking back, you know, from the beginning, just an absolute kind of, like, uh, tripping into wanting to do something like this, uh, watching it kind of snowball and, and go into the interviews, and I think we realized right away that the interviews was kind of where our bread and butter was going to be, but think about where the podcasting world was five years ago. Yeah had people who were doing them you had successful wrestling podcasts but the the genre itself has just completely blown up i mean there's millions of wrestling podcasts it seems but we've always been kind of able to keep our own ground and stay where we are as a very consistent content creator uh as a very consistent source of material and you know what a lot of crazy things have happened because of this show and i think when you look back five years i think one thing we can say is that the wrestling podcast world has absolutely uh changed uh without a shadow of a doubt oh big time it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and wider and wider as far as all these podcasts coming out but uh, one thing remains the same so many podcasts that have maybe come but there's also so many that have gone and so many have gone by the wayside and i've seen so many just come and go and they think they're going to be great or they think they can want to do this or ah, i can do that if, any, if you could do this i could do this they come but they don't have the passion that's what's missing they don't have the passion for wrestling like we do we absolutely love this business we've been fans since the mid 80s we live it breathe it uh, we diet i mean i mean everything about the pro wrestling business we're absolutely obsessed with and that's why when we get these guests on, we know what we're talking about. You hear some other shows, maybe they quite don't, not to get uh, negative on anything, but you hear some other interviews, you're like, oh, maybe these guys don't know what they're talking about. Us, on the other hand, we know the business inside and out, like the back of our hands. We are very familiar with all the guests, and we just absolutely love doing what we're doing. And it's great to see that it's five years, but nowhere near stopping. 
Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you and I, before that, friends for about 15 when the show started. Now, god damn, man, <laughs> getting close to being friends for 20 years. You know, just thinking about the conversations we had before we started the show and kind of carrying some of those even into the show, you see the guys, the veterans, you know, the legends that we did kind of hit it off with because of that passion, because of that knowledge. And we've always said a million times, Dusty Rhodes calling us historians, not fans, but historians. And it could possibly be the ultimate compliment over a five-year span to be, you know, dubbed a historian by a guy who literally is an icon uh, in a business that has icon after icon. This guy influenced so many wrestlers, uh, made fans believe in what he could do in the ring and what he was outside the ring. To call us historians is a feather in the cap, but it's the passion that is there, like you said, and, you know, look, we've made this network uh, now grow. We've got additional shows. You know, you and I have kind of made the divide and conquer method very successful. You know, you've been just tackling the interviews like crazy over the last probably like five, six months uh, just because we this is how we stay successful. This is how we maintain this regimen of, of staying on task and getting these out every single week and making them quality is is really being ready to do an interview at any minute of any day, pretty much at any second. And that's how we've gone for five years. And that's how it looks like it's going to be going into year number five. But we've added shows like Eyes Up Here with Francine, obviously recently with Dr. Tom, J.J. Dillon, the franchise who we've been working with for almost three years already, which is insane. You know, and again, it's like the wheels are always turning and we're always coming up with new ideas. And this, I think, is where the success of the Empire is headed, is where it's going. And, you know, as we settle in for uh, the one-man gang here in a second, I mean, again, it's just a head-scratching moment. It's uh, it's just crazy, all the stuff that's gone on. And not to forget how this almost all started with our ill-fated King Kong Bundy podcast that never, ever got to air or record. Right. Yeah, he wanted to do one with us. He kept kind of, you know, pushing it off. Obviously, he had some health issues, too. That kind of got in the way. But that would have been a great one. Um, we obviously, J.J. Dillon, it's the end of his season is kind of coming up. But uh, he'll be back. Dr. Tom, obviously, you mentioned Shane and Francine. I mean, we're building quite the empire. And uh, obviously, you know, you're doing a hell of a job behind the scenes, doing a lot of stuff, getting us out there. Uh, obviously, check our, our YouTube page for a lot of YouTube, uh, clips and, and stuff from our episodes. Uh, you got Wrestling Inc. We're always up on there, getting our name out there and really kind of pushing the brand. But also, you know, we're just kind of keep pumping out the episodes, whether it's the weekly flagship like you're listening to now or even the feature episodes, which are a little bit shorter and, and really one subject condensed. There could be a book or a movie or whatever. That means that's more the condensed show. But those are great as well. And that's another avenue that we've kind of created another set of shows that we have for the brand and for the empire. But you know what? Think of, of just the five years and thinking of what happened. I always think of like, what's your favorite episode or this? I mean, you could literally name hundreds. And if you really look at how many episodes we've actually recorded, um, I mean, we're up to 432. So wow. I mean, just think about that. And interview wise, we've done over 500 actual interviews with guys. And obviously some shows have had multiple episodes. We have a bunch of episodes that haven't even come out yet that we recorded with some huge, huge names in wrestling. So there's so many things. But I always think of what's your kind of favorite you know, for the year. So 2015, like what's your favorite? 2016, 17, 18, 19, <laughs> 20. So, so I always try to do that. And I was literally thinking, I was like, okay, favorite episode. It's almost impossible because if you think about 2015, you know, Jesse the Body, Kane, DDP. But I got to go Dusty. 
for 2015 is probably my favorite. Jenny might be one of my favorite of all time. The fact that we had him on, the fact that he called us historians, the fact that I was able to have some great conversations with him off the air was very, very cool. Obviously bittersweet given the fact that we just interviewed him, just got close with him, and then he ends up passing a few days later. 2016, there's so many damn good ones if you go through the list. I mean, just go go on our uh, Podomatic page and uh, check out all the past episodes. It's just crazy. But I had to come up with one. I was thinking of hmm. Vince McMahon's personal lawyer, Jerry McDivitt. Probably my favorite interview of that year. One of the favorites. It's definitely up there with Dusty as far as one of the favorites. Crazy to have him on. Crazy that we went into it saying, hey, um, or is there anything we can't ask? And he's like, ask whatever you want. That was crazy, like that kind of thing. Obviously, he's going to answer it however he's going to answer it. But usually, especially with a lawyer, they say, well, you can't ask me this. or We can't talk about that. Nope. He was like an open book, and he was awesome. 2017, I know, you, I know you're going to agree with me on this one. There's so many good ones if you go down the list, but I love that Terry Funk episode. Oh, so yeah, awesome. That's great. To get him on that first time. Obviously, it was like our 300th episode. But Terry Funk, that was huge. 2018, one of my all-time favorites, quite possibly one of our best, the way it's put together, the uh, editing, the music that you put together, everything. Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. Love that in 2018. 2019, I got to go Dustin Rhodes just because, I mean, there's so many other awesome ones we had out there, but just because of the dusty connection and the way he was able to open up and give us such a, a longer interview than we originally kind of had scheduled and obviously part of our Dusty Rhodes tribute up. So I just thought that was one of my favorites. And then 2020, I mean, there's so much kind of out there and it's too early to say, but uh, obviously one man gang was a hell of a lot of fun and, uh, Above average, Mike Sanders was awesome. He's going to be back. So just just too many to name, too many to talk about. So that's why I kind of wanted to condense it, keep it short, and just mention those brief few. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't even really <laughs> go go back and top that because that's pretty much in line with the same ones that I have. I mean, I love the Dusty one, but I you can't discount the the Jesse the Body Ventura episode yeah. and what that yep. meant to us at that point. And then you know the the relationship that we built with with Kane over the years and having him on what, three times we, we've interviewed Kane yep. on the show? I mean, mm-hmm. like, so that's the, the kind of stuff that I just, I, I look at and, you know, the, the guys that you dream of talking to, the, the Brutus Beefcakes of the world, you know, the Greg Valentines, right? <laughs> Taking a car ride uh, to, to to a hotel with Greg Valentine and just hearing five stories that we could have had on the air that would have been unbelievable. You know, those little, little things, Superstar Billy Graham, how could we forget about him? You know, the, mm-hmm. bringing, yep. uh, and I will put the feather in our cap here, folks, bringing David Arquette back to the wrestling world, yes. you know, in our, yep. in our conventions, which how can we de- not mention them? The two-man power trip conventions that we did the last couple of years uh just an absolute you know just life changer with some of the stuff we've got to do on the air uh in person the interviews in person just amazing amazing stuff the the cornet uh q a that we hosted as part of the last convention just stuff that i never would have thought five years ago we could do we're doing and we're not stopping and there's more stuff coming down the pike and i'll just leave it at that uh because we got some uh, business to attend to here um, and I'll ask you one final question before we get into the gang, but let's get into the one-man gang here, John. A guy, like I said at the top of this show, look, he's a dream guy for us. He's 1980s WWF. He's a larger-than-life character. He's got a history like nobody other we could possibly have for a five-year anniversary guest. But tell us a little bit about this interview with a guy who, uh, during his career, didn't say much, but he is one hell of an interview, I can tell you that. He really is. 
once you get him rolling and get him talking and get him focused like on a subject, whew, boy, he is he a great storyteller. That's one of the things that I mentioned to, to Gimmick Tree, Modovich Dretchling, uh, Charlie Armstrong, thank you very much, and Scott Wilder, thank you very much as well, Scott Wilder Promotions, for setting this up. I uh, want to quickly mention before I kind of, kind of get back in the gang, the Superstars of Wrestling Fan Fest, the Superstars Fan Fest down in Rome, Georgia, April 25th. You will be able to meet and greet the one-man gang for that show, and that was great for them to set this interview up for us. Really, really appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much. Definitely check out Scott Wilder Promotions and check out Gimmick Tree. Uh, you can check them out on Facebook or you can check them out on their websites, but also check out the Superstar Fan Fest in Rome, Georgia on April 25th as well. Back to the gang. I mentioned this to Charlie, I mentioned this to Scott afterwards. I said, man, once you get him rolling, he's such a good storyteller. And a lot of people probably don't realize that because he didn't really talk much throughout his career. And even when he was in the WWF, when so many people knew him, Slick was the mouthpiece and Slick did the talking for him. So you don't realize, you know, what a smart, bright guy he is and what a great memory he has. Because he goes into some great details about some great stories. We talk about Bruiser Brody. He goes into great detail about him. We'll talk about Obviously, WWF, we'll talk about one-man gang, we'll talk about Hakeem. I mean, it's just great, great stuff and great recall. I, I, I loved the conversation with him. And like you mentioned before, one of our dream guests. Oh, my gosh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from top to bottom, the, the history that he's got, uh, the places that he's been, the era that he was in, it's just it's uh, a timeless time. And he's such a good link to so many stories that maybe you never heard before and was such a top guy in all the places that he went. I mean, how can we not you know, forget ever, you know, the Mega Powers versus the Twin Towers and his team with the Boss Man, his pairing with Slick, you know, all the amazing stuff that he did prior to getting to the WWF and talking about the gang and talking about, you know, some of his biggest moments. You know, what would you say... Looking at the the one man gang's career, what's the quintessential one man gang moment you could you could put your finger on, and what's one that he really loved to relive with you? Oh, really? Uh, it was the turn, of course, the infamous turn from one man gang to Akeem, and, and that whole story of the the backstory of why it happened, what the character was supposed to be, who was really pushing for that character. Was it a rib on Dusty? Why the dance? You know, why the song? We just kind of just went into the whole detail about that transformation. And, of course, the vignette and, and Mean Gene being involved in that whole thing. And he's got some great stories about that. Some great, you know, just fun, funny stuff about that. I just thought it was great kind of reliving that because so many fans think that's just just hilarious. I mean, it's big strong monster guy one of the scariest guys you'll ever see in wrestling just an absolute beast turns into this african dream and you know he's this huge white guy from the south so you're like what the hell what the hell's going on here but somehow he made it work somehow it was just hilarious but yet so entertaining and so good but he was still able to be that kind of monster and that really great villain along with the big boss man the twin towers to play a huge factor in the story between the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan and the Mega Powers exploding and Miss Elizabeth, that whole thing. So it's funny, like, in an aspect of, wow, what the hell is this character? Now he's dancing around like Dusty, and now he's saying, you know, he's African and doing all this crazy stuff. But then it's like, okay, this guy is 6'6", like 400 pounds, he's a monster. He's still believable. He's still a killer in the ring. So it was awesome to kind of go through that whole video and that whole vignette and, and the smoke clearing and the man from Africa kind of uh, 
reemerging as a new man is just it's just awesome stuff when you go back and if you, you watch you just think man this is so funny but so damn entertaining deepest darkest africa is where yes akim was from <laughs> yep i do mention that to him when he were talking about uh um, that whole skit i say from the deepest darkest parts of africa he is akim. <laughs> and he's you know he he remembers it and he goes into further detail about it. very funny stuff just uh yeah the music i've been dying to play this music for five years really about four and a half because that's when we introduced the the music into the whole entire podcasting uh rigmarole that we uh present to you every week but uh really no more fitting of a guest than uh akeem the one-man gang we kind of like had a thing where every time we hit a milestone or an anniversary uh episode it is somebody who fits perfectly into our like uh i hate to say like uh you know wwf you know, uh, wheelhouse, those larger-than-life WWF guys. And that's why I, the, the the African Dream is the perfect guy to roll into uh, year number five. Uh, but before we get to that, you know, give me, uh, give me a, a match or a moment outside of that transition into Akeem for, uh, for the gang. What's one that you can point us in the direction of? I just liked, especially kind of because we were talking about the Bruiser Brody Cup that's coming up also on 425. In Rome, Georgia, a part of the Superstar Fan Fest, it's going to be Modern Vintage Wrestling's Brody Cup, Brody Cup Two, and I was actually at the first one. Great show, won by Mister Tommy Dreamer, won the cup. But great stuff as always from those guys. And the second one is going to be even bigger and even better. But One Man Gang has a big time history with Bruiser Brody, so it's just awesome talking about world class and that feud and him kind of getting put on the map by Bruiser Brody. That's when he really first, as he says, first really starts getting noticed. And those brutal, brutal matches, stiff matches, and he specifically mentions that chain match where they absolutely killed each other. So I think that's kind of some keys to the game to look out for. Find some world-class footage. I believe the WWE Network has a ton of it. Um, Check out Bruiser Brody and the one-man gang because they absolutely beat the living hell out of each other. And you expect no less from Bruiser Brody. Nah, absolutely not. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fantastic choice right there. A little out of the box. I love it. So uh, before we get into it, let's uh, give you a little bit of the plug. And John will give you the plugs here in a minute, too, with the TMPT business. But all the stuff we talked about, every single thing. You want to find out more about the show. You want to get the links. You want to see the pages. Go to TMPTEmpire.com. That's the portal. That's the page. We, we got all the different spots for all the podcasts we've got. And I actually found a master list of links from Podomatic that is like, you know, way hidden. That'll get you to every single one in one big scroll. It's the RSS feed link. It's in one big scroll. Go back and check some old stuff out. It Some of it might be a little cringy with us, but hey, we were kind of learning the ropes. So, you know, you can give us a little bit of a pass, but you can go back five years. You can hear some amazing episodes, guys that, you know, I hate to say we may have even forgotten we had on, but you can go back and listen to them. Uh, they are fantastic. It is a key to the history of the business, and it's a, a look back at so many stories that are either untold, unheard, or ready for your consumption. So head on over to TMPTEmpire.com and do that today. John, before you get into the TMPT business here, give us one master episode and go listen to it after you listen to the, uh, to the one man gang. Give us one master episode. Oof, man, that is crazy. There's so many great episodes. I got to say this though, because we didn't mention it before and he's always at the top of my mind. It was literally just talking about him to a really good friend of mine for many years to his grandfather who is in his, who is in his eighties and was talking to me about this guy. And I said, you know what? 
Like we've interviewed him for an hour and he was awesome. And, uh, he just was such a pleasure. Bruno San Martino, the living legend, Bruno San Martino. That would be one that I'm shocked that we didn't mention. And he's always one of the first guys that I mentioned when somebody says, Oh, who, who have you had on oh, some of the big names? I always first mentioned Bruno and I'm surprised we didn't mention him before, but Bruno San Martino ep- episode for sure. Seek that one out. Yes, I think I didn't mention it because of the butterflies. I still have somewhere in my stomach from as we were getting ready to uh, to start that one. A perfect choice. Couldn't say it any better myself. So let's wrap it up here nice. Let's get into a little TMPT business, and then you'll hear the drum roll. You'll hear the music. It's time for the African Dream, Akeem, the one-man game. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former UWF World Heavyweight Champion, a former WCW United States Champion, you may know him as former WWF Superstar Akeem, but we know him as the One Man Gang. Please enjoy. United States champion, 
a former UWF World Heavyweight Champion, and of course, a former WWF superstar and icon. He is one man gang. Also, Akeem, one man gang. Welcome to the two man power trip of wrestling. Well, it's a pleasure to be on here. I appreciate you uh, giving me a call on the telephone, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about something, whatever you want to talk about. Right. Now, coming up, April 25th, big show, thanks to Scott Wilder Promotions and Gimmick Tree Entertainment. You will be a part of a huge fan fest called the Superstars of Wrestling in Rome, Georgia. What is kind of your memories of working that Georgia area? You'll be back there, obviously, on April 25th, but what's kind of your memory and your history with that Georgia area? Well, I, you know, I was I wasn't wasn't there the original with when it was you know Georgia Championship Wrestling. I came in later when it was WCW, you know that era. So, I mean, we I mean basically wrestled all the areas there. You know, it's kind of hard. I don't have any you know per se exact memories, you know. But you know, I didn't have any problem around Georgia area. But uh, I wasn't in there that long, really. I was only there a few months and. And I was uh, gone again, so, you know, I don't really have that that many memories about the area, to be honest. What about kind of going back and just meeting some of the fans? And obviously the, the fans in Georgia, it's a, it's a big area, and this fan fest is a big deal, and it's a big thing. So what's it like when you kind of go back and you meet some of these fans that are longtime fans of yours and fans that just love you, not only from maybe WCW, but even from your WWF days? Yeah, well, usually that's uh, the fans that will come up. It's usually from WWF fans. That's just their era that they grew up in. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's it's more, uh, for whatever reason, they want to talk about Akeem for some reason. I have no idea why. But, uh, you know, every, every once in a while you get a fan from the old territory days, you know. I, I guess territory fans are – just getting up in age, and <laughs> the younger ones is what remembers things or sees it on the network, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great now to be able to interact with fans because back in the uh, the heyday or the old school days, whatever you want to say, you know, we wasn't allowed really to uh, interact with the fans too often because, we, you know, I was one of the both bad guys or heels, as they, you know, they say now, everybody knows the, uh, uh, verbiage. So yeah, I was I was one of the hills, and we weren't really allowed to uh, get out there and shake hands or anything. Plus, you just couldn't trust them then. You know, the fans were pretty wild. So you know, if you if you try to go out there and you know shake hands with somebody, they may pull a knife and stab you. We didn't know really back in those days. You know, the fans were really uh, seriously engaged with what was going on. It wasn't you know one hundred percent you know, told to them that, yeah, this is all scripted and, you know, the, these guys don't really hate each other. They didn't know that. They believed what they saw on TV, you know. So, I mean, it was a pretty serious situation at times back in those days. But luckily, you know, now it's it's nice to be able to, you know, meet the fans and have a little discussion over some wrestling or, you know, sign some pictures or autographs and not have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, those were the crazy days. Uh, that's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I had I had a lot of you know a lot of interaction with some uh, crazy fans, you know, jumping on you and junk like that, you know, and destroying your vehicle, cut your tires on your vehicle, and bust your windshield out, or you know things like that. I mean, that was just a common thing every night when you was a 
You know, like I said, a bad guy, as they said back then. Now, now everybody knows heels, you know. But, you know, the baby faces had it nice, you know. Heck, they had it, you know, super easy. They just, you know, you walk around and go to a restaurant and just, you know, have a grand, grand old time. We, we bad guys, we couldn't do that, you know. You just, you never knew what could happen. It was just a crazy situation, but. I guess it feels, you know, if they hated you that much, you was doing what you were paid to do, uh, I assume, you know. <laughs> you <laughs> know, most people say, you know, man, there's no way I could take being spit on and cussed at and, you know, them back, you know, back in those days, they'd, they'd chew that old tobacco in them cups, they'd throw that on you or throw, you know, they'd bite beer at the concession stand, throw that on you, you know, and. You know, you know, a lot of people's like, man, I just don't, I don't see how you could take that, but you know, that's just. That was part of being the uh, the heel or the bad guy. You just, you know, if you was getting that reaction, you knew you were doing something right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That means you're definitely a good heel. Now, I do also want to mention during the night of the 25th in April in Rome, Georgia, Modern Vintage Wrestling will present the second annual Bruiser Brody Cup. You will be there as long as the Goodish family. And obviously, you know, we're talking old school. We're talking some craziness. Got to mention world class, and you got to mention Bruiser Brody. Do you, you know? Do you have, remember fondly looking back your time with Bruiser Brody and world class wrestling? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, in uh, in world class, well, I've met him before that. We've been in Japan together, and uh, luckily, you know, I got to team up with him and and actually see up close how he, how he worked in the ring of Japan, which. You know, it was a little more, you know, intense, a little more high-paced, you know. I mean, he was like, uh, basically like almost like a machine. I mean, he could just, he never seemed like he'd blow up. I'd go out there in five minutes, I, you know, I was sucking so much wind, I couldn't even hardly stand up, and he was still just stomping around and, you know, screaming and swinging his chain around, and he'd come out of the dressing room in Japan, and it'd be like a, you know, almost like a Godzilla monster stomping through the crowd. The people would like be running and screaming, and he was <laughs> it was it was just an uh, amazing sight to see. Which now, you luckily you can see it because they do have videos of it on YouTube. You know, so I mean, it was just to, to actually be there and be a partner with his over there was just uh, well, wow, what an experience that was. I mean, that was just like so. You know, for me, I'd never seen anything like that because I come from. You know, like Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling or, you know, Florida or places that were rough. But, my gosh, nothing like that. We couldn't stop through the crowd and, you know, grab people and throw them down or anything. Yeah, they thought it was an honor if he hit one of them or something. It was just crazy. I, I've never seen nothing like that in my whole life. I was, like, totally lost, you know. But, luckily, you know, when we teamed up, he took the lead and, uh, you know, and he took over the match and, Kind of, kind of showed me, you know, you know, this is the way you have to be with these guys. If not, they're going to eat you up, you know. So, luckily, I had a good teacher, you know, going over there with him, and then I, then I got to team up with Stan Hansen too for, you know, some tag team matches. That was another experience. So, you know, I had, a, I had some great uh, teachers over there for sure. But back to your question about world class, yeah, world class for sure. I mean, uh, in Texas, he was, you know, uh, in between his trips to Japan or whatever, he'd come up there and work for Von Eric, you know, and so he he was the baby face, as they say, but, you know, a face like that, I don't know how baby face it was, but, <laughs> you know, he was still a good guy, and, I, of course, I was a heel, a bad guy, so, 
Yeah, we met quite quite often up there. Our, our styles were, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, really fit really well together. And uh, we had a lot of fights because uh, I wouldn't call them wrestling matches, that's for sure. You know, about the only wrestling hold you might see was was a bruiser throwing a drop kick, you know, knocking my head off my shoulders or something like that. <laughs> That's about the only real wrestling uh, maneuver you might see during one of our matches because it was basically from the, even before the bell would ring, we, we'd probably meet up in the aisleways and just start battling. And anything that wasn't tied down probably was going to be uh, moved, thrown into the ring, used in some fashion or another. And usually both of us ended up bloody and, and uh, you know, it was just it was just a crazy free for all. But in you know, in Texas wrestling, that's that's what the people wanted to see. They didn't care about no, you know, arm drags and chin locks and uh, hip tosses. You know, they wanted to see just a knockdown, drag out fight. And that's basically what you know, a Bruiser and myself, you know, gave them every time we went out there. It was just a fight back and forth. I mean, it was, it was close to a real fight that you could get without actually killing each other, you know. So it was it was some rough, rough matches. And man, that uh, he he'd throw me in and give me that big boot come off the rope. It, it, I, it rang my bell so many times that I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I was sometimes I wouldn't even know where I was at for like a few seconds. He hit me so hard with it, you know. But then I finally, you know, get my feet back under me and go right back in there and we'd go at it again. That was the, that was the main thing. You had to keep fighting. You couldn't stop. Because uh, if you stop, you're just going to be eat up totally. It's going to take over and, then, you know, just destroy you, basically. So the main thing was just keep fighting and then just, you know, keep the action going. And that's basically what we did. You know, we usually both ended up bloody messes, you know, so... But the Texas fans seemed to love it because everywhere we had matches, it seemed to be, you know, big business, you know, for world-class world championship wrestling at that time. And uh, so whether it was tag team matches, we had, you know, quite a few tags. And we had a bunch of singles and different type matches, chain matches. We had, you know, no disqualification type matches, falls count anywhere type matches, cage matches. We basically ran the the whole you know the gamut of uh, matches back in those days. So every one of them was just a battle from start to finish. And you know I, I was just you know I'm lucky that I actually was you know in that in that era where you know I still was in you know both of us were still in good health and we could really go out there and give the the uh, ticket buyers uh, something they could go home, you know, and probably was talking about it in their vehicle on the way back home, you know, about, wow, did you see that? That was some of the craziest stuff, you know, I've ever seen, you know. So, you know, I feel lucky that I was uh, in a position, you know, at that time in history to be able to do that with somebody like Bruiser Brody, you know. Absolutely. And you also made a huge name for yourself in UWF, the Mid-South, Bill Watts' territory, where you kind of really became the one-man gang, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, well, originally, you know, I was there when it was Mid-South Championship Wrestling. That was my, you know, original time in there. Yeah, that's uh, I became one-man gang in that territory. And, and you know, that was the start of the... Uh, you know, kind of being stiff because, you know, I was still watching the big advocate of, you know, we got to go out there. We got to make these people believe what's happening. So, 
and same in his territory. I mean, pretty much you go out there and you you pretty much hammered on each other pretty good. I mean, you know, you wouldn't like trying to break an arm or a leg, but I mean the you know the punches and the and the chops and things like that were pretty snug, you know, and so. That kind of started it, and then, you know, every territory I went to was pretty much like that. Florida Championship Wrestling was that way, because, you know, Dusty was the main guy down there, and, you know, it was like that, the same thing, a lot of gimmick matches, a lot of blood, and, you know, just craziness, and then my whole career basically was that way until I got to the uh, WWF, and then it kind of changed, you know, that was totally opposite then, but. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, like I say, I was one of the lucky ones to say, you know, I actually got to wrestle in the sportatorium. You know, it wasn't the nicest place in the world, that's for sure, you know, but it wasn't no nice air-conditioned uh, arena. Or <laughs> so if it was, you know, 99 degrees outside, it's probably 110 inside the building because you had the lights and, you know, probably a couple thousand people they get stuffed in there. I don't, I don't know how much it could really hold, you know. But and we was in the little bit old dress rooms in the back. It wasn't nothing fancy about them, that's for sure. You know, it was just just some little dressing rooms. And oh man, they've had some mad. They had some matches in that place, that's for sure. You know, so I was lucky just to be be a part of it. A lot of guys, you know, passed through their career and didn't get to work in that area. But you know, I was lucky to be there and got to do what I got to do. You know. Such a legendary building, you know. When people talk about it, it's just one of those things that so many people look fondly back on. It. And the crowds, I mean, the crowds were nuts, and they were so into it, and they they kind of made up for right that horrible weather and it being so hot in there and, and no air conditioning and things like that. They they really kind of made up for, for it with their energy. Oh yeah, for sure, no doubt about that. I mean, from even you know even the uh, opening matches. I mean the crowd was in it all the way. You know up until the main event time. And I mean how many how many buildings could you really go to nowadays and have an event where it's not air conditioned in the middle of summertime, especially in Texas. You know I mean it's just crazy that you could you know pack that place you know week after week like that and you know just <laughs> no you know, great facilities, you know, sitting on them hard chairs they had to sit on and everything like that. But, man, they were, they, they come out in droves, you know. And it was just, then you think you're in, you're, you're in Dallas and then you have to go, you're only 30 miles from Fort Worth, you go to Fort Worth and it's jam-packed too, you know. On the, on the Dallas on, I think it's Friday, and then you go to Fort Worth on Monday nights and it was, jam-packed over there. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy that you could be that close to each other and just, you know, pack it out at both places like that now, you know, back in those days. Uh, nowadays, I don't know if you could do that or not, to be honest. You don't follow too much uh, current wrestling? You know, uh, I, honestly, I don't. You know, I mean, I, I've tried. I've turned it on. It seems like every time I turn it on, something, you know, with WWF, if I turn on Monday nights, it's always something going on with the women, and I just turn it right back off to another channel. It's not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're not talented or anything, but it's just something I'm just not interested in watching. You know, I want to see some, like, uh, you know, Jim Ross and say, I want to see a slobber knocker. You know, I want to see somebody getting punched in the face and, you know, really going at it. I just, I'm just not interested in, you know, lady wrestling. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying they don't have talent. They are, but uh, it's just not something that interests me. 
So, you know, I just kind of shy away from it. And the new group, you know, AEW is just, uh, man, you just watch their matches and you see, like, you know, it didn't work. They've been back there all day long going over these things because they never miss a spot. I mean, it's like... It's, they're like robots almost. They're just totally. I'm not saying it's not. They're not what they're doing. It and amazing. It is amazing. But good gosh, I mean, it's just it's just happened so fast. Stuff's going on so much, you know, and you can't even really digest what's going on before something else happens. So I kind of zone out on it too. So really, I, I guess I'm not really keeping up with much of anything to be honest. <laughs> now, kind of going back to you know, UWF and stuff, UWF world champion, but you end up leaving in 87 to head to Vince McMahon's WWF. How did that kind of all go down? Were they recruiting you? Is that one of those things where they see you? Obviously, you're making a name for yourself and everything else. Is that one of the things where they they seek you out and they want you? Well, what happens, just a lucky break. uh, uh, The... Uh, I don't know. You remember the big cat, Ernie Ladd? Oh yeah, of he, course. Yeah, yeah, big Ernie Ladd. He was working for Vince, and you know he'd been in in uh, mid south and places with me already. We'd had you know uh, wrestling matches against each other. You know he'd turn baby face and I was the heel, and so we'd already had matches against each other. So he he went up there and told you know told the uh, told Vince McMahon about me, and uh, you know just. I guess he just, you know, put the good word in, and then they uh, uh, they got in touch with me, you know, on the telephone. Some, I don't know. Don't ask me how. I guess they got ways of finding that stuff. But uh, they got in touch with me and set up a meeting, and, you know, it ended up one thing led to another from the meeting, and we ended up uh, shaking hands and agreeing to uh, come into his territory or company, rather. I, I wasn't a territory. I was a company, so totally different area. So, yeah, that's all it was. That's how it worked out. We just uh, got in touch with me on telephone, and uh, we talked, and he flew me up there to have a face-to-face meeting. And and one thing, you know, led to another after our conversation, and we shook hands, and next thing I knew, I was losing my title title to the big boss man. Uh, back then, it was, uh, it wasn't big boss man. It was, uh, I don't even remember what his name was back then. But uh, ended up being the big boss man anyway. First Big Bubba Rogers you know? and Big Boss Man, yep. Big Bubba Rogers, there you go. And, uh, you know, who, who would even think, you know, just a short time later, he'd end up being my tag team partner in WWF. You know, as a stage, I think he was out that way, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Very crazy. Did you think that it was a good fit for you, WWF? Because you said you liked that Smash Mouth, and they're obviously more sports entertainment oriented and stuff like that. But did you think it was a good fit for you when you first got there? Oh no, not at all. It was it was hard for me to switch over to that real light. You know, uh, uh, we barely touching each other. I, I could, you know, it was hard as heck for me not to do that or not to be able to roll out to the ring and, you know, move some furniture around or, you know, things like that. It was just hard to do. We wouldn't we wouldn't even really allowed to like, you know, say anything to the crowd, you know, like get into arguments with people or anything if they're, you know, trying to get heat up that way. We weren't allowed to do that. It was just, you know, we weren't even allowed to 
You know, I, I, we told we were told not even to spit. Don't even spit in the ring or spit on the floor or anything. Yes, <laughs> they were like so you know uh, so wanting the kids and things like that to be so family oriented. We just couldn't basically you know from the ways it used to be for me to that was totally totally different. It, it took a it took me a good while to get used to that style for sure. You know, they got on me a bunch of times about certain things. You know, not to do this or not to do that or whatever. You know, I was told a lot of times. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was really hard. And they put you with Slick too, which I always just thought was a great pairing and great chemistry. Did you feel it right away? Did you think you know, kind of in line with what I'm saying? Wow, one man gang, this cool character. Now you know, align with Slick when you come in, pretty cool. Yeah, well, I didn't even know who he was. To be honest, I'd never, you know, I, I never really kept up with other areas. He obviously had been a manager up in the Kansas City area and, you know, wherever. And I didn't know who he was, you know. I was, you know, for me, I was, you know, hoping, you know, I didn't, really when I first went in, I wasn't even thinking about a manager. I didn't even, you know, well, you know, I didn't have no idea I was going to have a manager until I actually got to the first PV. But, you know, once I got there and they, you know, he said, this is, uh, you know, Ken Johnson is slick. He's going to be your manager, you know. And I said, well, whatever. Like, I didn't really have a choice, you know. But then you got, you know, you got Bobby Heenan. You got Jimmy Hart. You got, you know, guys like that. And you think, well, you know, of course, all the champions went with them guys. You know, Slick never had a champion. He never got to, none of those guys got any championships. So, <laughs> Okay, we kind of knew right away. I, you know, I knew right away. Well, I won't be carrying no titles, that's for sure. <laughs> but it worked out. I mean, he was he was great, man. He was great on the microphone. I don't think he got his. Uh, you know, I don't believe they give him his just dues. You know, for for his talking and microphone skills and even ring skills. You know, it always goes to Bobby Heenan or Jimmy Hart or them guys. He kind of gets left out of the mix a lot of times when they talk about managers. For sure, such a great talker, such a smooth talker, great dancer as well, which you obviously know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, for the gimmick, he he went out there and gave it all he could, you know. But he just they just leave him out of the uh, conversation on managers a lot of times. I, I don't know, you know. But I feel that's like what they... it is with a lot of wrestlers. A lot of yeah. wrestlers are left out of conversations, you know. I mean. Uh, a lot of wrestlers that don't even get mentioned anymore. You know, like, you know, uh, Chief Wahoo McDaniel or those type guys, man. I mean, even like, to me, those are icons. I, I'm, you know, I was just a wrestler. Them guys were like what made the business, those type guys, you know. And he just, they get left out of conversations all the time, you know. So, you know, you got Bill Eady, who was half a demolition. Shoot, he was a mass superstar all them years, you know, so. And they, they they still hadn't uh, throwed his name up for, you know, the, put him in the Hall of Fame up there or anything like that. So, I don't know. Very now they strange. People, you know, now now they're putting guys in two or three times. But <laughs> yeah, true. So, many, so much yep. talent. They got so much talent that you could put in there, but they're putting the same guys in two or three times. I, I kind of just don't really understand that at all, you know. I don't know what goes on. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it's picked. I don't know who says what up there, but it just seems strange. You got so much talent, but you could use it. 
you know, really, really deserve it, you know, that seems to be passed over, but yet you've got guys going in two and three times. It's just kind of crazy to me. Do you ever think that you should be in it yourself? Like, you know, it's no, kind of, I don't, I don't, kind of I don't obvious, so. but, but do you ever think about no, it? I, mean, no, I, think I, so. I don't I don't really think I deserve to be in it. I didn't really – I was just a wrestler just like thousands of other wrestlers. I didn't really do anything to uh, – you know, to change the uh, change the world of professional wrestling. I didn't, you know, go into some place here down and bust it open like some guys had, you know, and – I was just a wrestler like thousands of those. I wasn't in, the, you know, I wasn't always in the big main events or the big pay-per-view events. I was, you know, I may be on the card somewhere, a lot of them shows, but I was, you know, I was very seldom was uh, the actual main events or something. You know, I might be semi or I might be sometimes lower than that. Sometimes I may be, you know, down underneath uh, underneath there somewhere. So, no, I, I don't think I, I should be in there, but, you know, I believe there's a lot of, old school names that should be and just like I said, Bill Eady, you know, I mean who how would you not pick Bill Eady, a mass superstar <laughs> you know, or uh on the top, I mean there's a bunch of names you could pick, but they keep they going back to these same guys, uh, you know I guess now what I see on YouTube or whatever they say and they're gonna put in N W O this year or something and, Yep. <laughs> you know, here it goes again. He's putting Hogan in again, you gonna have all them the other three or four guys going in again, it just don't make sense. Come on, man. You, you telling me all the wrestlers in the world that's been around, you can't come up with names? <laughs> I'm, 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 I just don't understand it, to be honest. You know, I just give up trying to understand it. Hey, I think it's crazy that you're not in. Think about the first Survivor Series main event, Hogan's team versus Andre's team. Andre the Giant, you're on his team. Come on, you're the first ever Royal Rumble. You're part of it. Obviously, Jim Duggan eliminates you last, and he ends up winning, but you're a part of some of these big events. I mean, wrestling Hogan in main events, Randy Savage in main events, taking out superstar Billy Graham, kind of ending his career. I mean, you were a part of some pretty epic and some pretty big moments. I mean, I was, you know, I was involved in it, like I said, but, you know, I was just a wrestler on the on the card just like anybody else. I just happened to be picked for that position, you know. So, I mean, that's all I look at it as. I, I just don't think I, I, you know, I really contributed that much in professional wrestling to be, you know, to say that I deserve to be in the, in the Hall of Fame or something like that. I, just, I never really considered myself like a, quote, main event top wrestler, you know, I just I always felt, you know, I was more mid-card or something like that, you know, kind of a journeyman where I was like, because I never settled in one territory, you know, like Flair was kind of, you always thought about Charlotte or, you know, place in Minnesota, you thought about somebody, but I was like always on the move, I never could, you know, my, I could never get settled in one area, you go in for a year, two years or whatever, and then you're on to another territory, it was just uh I never really got to settle down in one place and make my name, you know. It was just, I was like, I guess it's good in one way because you got to, you know, you, you kind of spread your name out all over the country. It's bad in one way because you never could settle down. You couldn't just say, well, I'm going to, you know, let's get a home right here and just, we can stay here forever, you know, like, you know, like Jerry Lawler did in Memphis or, you know, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I just I just never could do that. Territories just wouldn't, for whatever reason, I was just a big monster. 
they bring you in, and, you know, within a year or a year and a half or two years, you're used up and had to move on, you know. So that was, that was a pretty hard life, really. I mean, when you really think about it, it was a pretty hard life to have to keep moving on. You knew eventually, you know, you just have to move on again. So, you know, it got tiresome after a while. It's breaking news here on the two-man power trip. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your public service announcement. After more than 18 months of research and development, the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. This new trimmer was just released moments ago, and we are the first to confirm the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 Manscaping Trimmer is now available for purchase. This third-generation Manscaped Trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents, and millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Now, we've been talking about Manscaped since last year, and we wouldn't endorse a product that we didn't believe in. And one thing I can say about the Manscaped products is that it's not only quality, but it's also the best product you're ever going to find. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, and one of the coolest new features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this design stand is a rapid charging powered by USB. And if you're listening to the two-man power trip right now, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and we want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. So trim that junk of yours and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code POWERTRIP at manscaped.com. Again, it's 20% off plus free shipping with the code POWERTRIP at manscaped.com. And as always, your balls will thank you. You know, you mentioned before about how everybody you when you meet him at the signing of shows they always want to mention Hakeem and talk about Hakeem the African Dream well how did that kind of come about because obviously everyone remembers the vignettes and Mean Gene with Slick and one man gang disappearing into you know the smoke and Hakeem coming out so how did that all come about uh, yeah. I was just uh, I was just an idea uh, I, I'm you know Vince McMahon and it's basically he wanted another character, you know, so he he invented this character, and that's what he decided to go with. And uh, he just told me that One Man Gang was just too black and white, too, you know, just too, you know, just wasn't a good character anymore. And he said, I need a good, colorful character, you know, that basically one he could trademark, you know, and market things off of, you know. So he came up with Akeem and... And uh, that was basically it. I mean, really not too much to it. I mean, he'd come up with the idea, and then he, you know, had his artist come up with the drawings of uh, the costume and, you know, sent me to New York and had me uh, sized up and uh, materials and whatever needed to be done, and they had the drawings and the art artist renditions, and that was it, basically. And then I show up at TV, and... Uh, Next thing you know, here come you know they do the video. They, you know, bring us up to New York, Connecticut, and do the little video of uh, me changing. You know, like you talked about with the dancers and this and that and whatever. And me changing to Akeem and finding my roots or whatever it was supposed to be. And 
Next thing you know, I'm on TV, and that's what I am from then on, you know. He just, he didn't give me any, you know, uh, instructions on how to be our team. He just said, you know, just go out there and, you know, whatever you think you should do, but you'd be our team. <laughs> that was basically my orders. So, you know, after that, it's just anything I could come up with, and, you know, I wanted to add to the character, I could add to it myself, you know, and, little hand movements and stuff. I just came, I don't know, the music was playing. You go out and you, I just started moving my hands around and now everybody calls me IT and dance. I don't know what. <laughs> I just tell them I was just being, you know, stupid out there. I didn't know what I was doing half the time. But, you know, the character, you know, first I was terrified. I was like, God, I've been, you know, one-man gang my whole career and now i got to switch over and be this whole new you know, character. I know people in professional wrestling, you know, they tell you, like, oh, this is just wrestling. This is another character. But, man, it's like a whole different person. You know, you've been a one-man gang your whole life, you know, a big bully, basically a big bad guy that just beat people up. Now I had to totally be a whole other character of, you know, just a goofy, I don't know, I hate to say white guy, you know, being trying to be cool and dance and whatever, you know, but that's basically what it was, you know. People say, well, he was, he was, uh, you know, making fun of Dusty. He like playing a joke and making fun of Dusty or this and that, but and I tell people, well, if that was the case, why did he bring Dusty into the into the company? Dusty came in shortly thereafter, you know, and put him in polka dots and called him, you know, the, I don't know, the working man or whatever it was. I, don't, I mean, so how was that a joke on him? That couldn't have been a joke on him because he hired him into the company. <laughs> so, well, I guess it caught on, you know, people still talk about it 30 years later. So I guess whatever, you know, whatever Akeem did, I guess it was a good thing because here we are 30, you know, 30 years later and people still Man, I loved Hakeem, you know, and I'm like, man, are y'all people crazy? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, yeah, people absolutely love it. I mean, I, I used to love it, too, from the deepest, darkest parts of Africa, talking jive. Yeah, exactly. You know, all that I, stuff. I know. Just... See, at the time, I didn't realize, I didn't, you know, I'm just doing the character. I don't realize that it's really, you know, getting over. I'm like, yeah, I'm just doing this. That's why I'm, you know, that's why I do this or I don't have a job, you know, but. You know, I didn't realize at the time the people were really starting to take with it, you know. So, so you know, 30 years later, and they, now they want to talk about it, you know. Man, you know, everybody's like, man, Akeem was great and this and that. And I'll even have people come. I'd have them come up to the table and see that we have two pictures, one-man gang and Akeem picture. And they'll look at Akeem and then look over there and go, you mean to tell me you was him? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was I was the same person. One man gang was Akeem, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea." Here it is. They just now learned that thirty years later. I'm like, "You gotta be kidding me! You didn't know I was the same person. <laughs> I looked exactly the same, except for my outfit and my wrestling style was different." But <laughs> uh, it's like just crazy. I don't know. <laughs> and the thing but, is, uh, I yeah, think that. Yeah, and I think the thing that adds to the memorability, you know, memorableness or however you want to phrase it, the, the fact that it's remembered 30 years plus later, the placement of you and Bossman when you guys formed the Twin Towers and feuded with the Mega Powers and feuded with Hogan and Savage, Survivor Series, Saturday Night's Main Event, 
when Elizabeth gets taken out leading into Macho Man versus Hogan uh, at WrestleMania 5. It's just like you guys were in a perfect spot where they built you. You know, you're wrestling in main events against Hulk Hogan, the biggest star. Bossman is in there. Did you like your placement at that point? Because that's a pretty big uh, high priority you guys were. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we didn't – I don't think, you know, when – yeah, you know, like they say, where you can't see the forest for the trees. I think when you're in that position, you're just, you know, okay, we got this match lined up. You're going to do this. And, you know, it's going to be twin towers against the mega powers. You know, really, it's not coming across to you as, uh, like, this is a big thing, you know, at that particular time. You just, you know, the way I'm thinking is just another night of work. I'm just going out there, you know, yeah, we know it's a live TV and this and that, but, it don't even come across as like this is a big event, you know, in professional wrestling or something that, you know, I get to throw, uh, you know, the, the Miss Elizabeth takes some big bumps and then we end up breaking up the mega powers, you know. It's, mm-hmm. just, it, yeah, it's like you're involved in doing this, but then the next day you're off to another city and, you know, and the next night I might be working against Hillbilly Jim or George the Animal Steel or something, you know. So it's like it, it happens. But then the next night, you just right back to the same same routine. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. And Absolutely. you don't even see it happening. You don't see it. We, you know, because we're always on tour, so when it actually played, we we couldn't see it. You know, that was live TV. That was, that was live TV. So I never, you know, until years later, you know, with the Internet and stuff, I actually finally got to see the match, but. That's the match when I fell through the ropes and knocked myself out. Everybody, everybody asked me about that. I'm like, come on, what? One little mistake I have in a match, and everybody want to ask me about it. I'm like, golly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you do something like that, or say you do a WrestleMania at that particular time. Yeah, I mean. I just tell people, you know, to me, I've already been in big matches. I've been in, you know, uh, stadiums in Texas and Florida and places like that, Superdome. So, you know, when we got got there and it was a WrestleMania, just to us, it was just, I'm saying to me, I can't say for all for everybody, but to me, it was just another night of work. You go out there, do what you have to do. You go out there and wrestle, whatever. Next day, you know, you're back on tour. You go to another city, and you, like I say, you might be opening match with Hillbilly Jim or third match with George Animal Steel or somebody like that, you know. So then two nights later, I might be back in the main event with Hogan in Chicago, and then the next night I might be opening match again, you know. So that's <laughs> they kept me in a position where I could be main event, you know, and I could also be, you know, opening or mid-card match also, you know. It's just. That's just the way it was there. You know, I believe everybody was in that position except probably Hogan and maybe Warrior or somebody, you know, Honky Tonk Man or somebody like that because they had belts, of course. But, so I, I, you know, that was just the way it was with us, you know. For me, anyway, you know, one night you're in a big main event, next night you're not. So we wasn't on guaranteed contracts. So if you wasn't in the upper matches, you're, you know, your money just wasn't that good, you know, sometimes. Opening match, you know, unless you was on a Hogan uh, main event card or something with Hogan, uh, I mean, yeah, the money is pretty much always going to be pretty good money. But, you know, we had like three crews running the country at the time. If you was on one of the lesser crews that didn't have that great a 
hard, you know. So I mean, I've I've been on shows and you know, in North Dakota and up in those type of areas, and you'd be in a 10,000-seat Coliseum and maybe have a 1,000 people there, you know. So, you know, it wasn't always, uh, you know, people always thought, well, at that time, WWF was selling out everywhere. It wasn't that true. That wasn't true, you know. Hogan was selling out. You know, no matter where he went, I, I, I mean, he was always so big. I mean, you just you could put him out there with anybody. It didn't matter. He, it was going to be a sellout. That's to me. That's just amazing, you know. But back in the back in the old school days, I mean, that's the way it was with Devon X too. I mean, when you put them kids on the show, I mean, he was going to have a sellout. So I mean, you can't say it was. I mean, uh, yeah, Hogan might have been selling out huge, giant, you know, arenas, but. Man, Kerry was uh Kerry Von Erich, he was uh he was like a rock star back in the day. I mean people grabbing him and pulling on his clothes and his hair and stuff. I've seen that many times, him coming down the uh the aisle going to the ring, so you know, so I I've seen some crazy stuff, you know, and been involved with a lot of that stuff. So I was like I said, I have been a lucky person, you know, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And as we start to wind it down, head towards the finish, you know, you mentioned being lucky and kind of, you know, being in, in like the right place, the right time, working with Hogan, working with Carrie Von Eric, Savage, Twin Towers. What was your favorite territory that you worked? What would it be WWF or would it be something like World Class Championship Wrestling? Oh no, it definitely wouldn't be WWF. That'd be on the end of my, you know, that'd be the bottom of the list. And uh, uh, my favorites, probably, I would say, probably I enjoy Florida Championship Wrestling. Uh, probably the best because, heck, you're in Florida. you got all the beaches. It's basically like, you know, all the trips are pretty reasonable. You didn't really have no giant long trips. And, uh, you know, you got days off, so you always go to the beach or whatever you wanted to do, you know. So, you know, I'd probably say Florida was my favorite uh place but you know all of them you know had their positive and negatives you know so you know like i say wwf will be on the bottom of the list because you really there it was just get on the airplane fly to the city get a rental car try to get some food go to the arena wrestle hope you get a couple hours sleep get up at 4 a.m go to the airport for a six o'clock flight fly to the next city uh, rinse and repeat, as they say, over and over and over, day after day after day. So, no, that, that wasn't fun at all. Now, as far as some favorite opponents or maybe some favorite matches, who are some of the guys that you really love working with? Well, we don't talk about Bruiser. I mean, he was he was probably he's probably right up there at the top of one of them, you know, just because their styles were the same type style, a good, you know, just a battling hardcore, uh, whatever they call it, uh, strong style, I guess you'd say. Uh, I always enjoy working with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Duggan was also uh, uh, one of those same type guys where it was just a, a battle, you know, back and forth battle, No, nothing real fancy about it. And uh, Any guys like that, uh, I enjoyed Black Jack Mulligan. Black Jack Mulligan was... Uh, one of those styles where, you know, you, you could just hit him and he'd hit you back and it didn't really, uh, you know, there wasn't nothing, no crying about, hey, man, you got to loosen up a little bit or anything like that, you know. But those are the type of guys I enjoy working against. And uh, so, 
I mean, you know, the kids, the Von Erics were fun to work, but they were kind of, I ain't going to say they were, they were a little crazy in the ring. You didn't really know what to expect from them, you know. You always had, like, uh, they just just jump on you and start hitting on you. You didn't know what was going on half the time. It was just, hmm. but they, you know, just being over, you know, that was the thing. They really didn't have to do too much. It was just a claw, man. As soon as they raise their hand up with a claw, the whole crowd will, like, just be you know, going into hysterics almost, you know. It was just insane. It was crazy. You know, it was just, it, it still amazes me when, you know, you talk about people that was over, you know, like a Ric Flair or somebody. But I always forget, man, them kids, uh, man, them guys were over son of the guns in their territory. Uh, I mean, unless you were there, actually, you can see it on video now, but unless you were there live to hear, hear the reaction, you know, it was just, Wow, it was something, you know. It was totally different when he went to the WWF as the Texas Tornado, you know. It was just, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, just wasn't, this wasn't the same thing then, so. Do you have a favorite manager that you work with? Obviously, Gary Hart kind of comes to mind. It's Gary Akbar. So oh, like, yeah, Gary. Well, yeah. I mean, I had, I had a lot of good managers, really great managers. I mean, I, I was another lucky part of my career was managers, you know, because I started with Skandor Akbar uh, here here in the Mid-South area, you know. So he was, I mean, he had some serious heat on him. He was a great manager to be with. And, you know, I was with Sir Oliver Humperdinck, another great manager. Uh, uh, Gary Hart, like you said, you know. Another really, really great manager. Uh, I was with uh, Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette managed me, and so you know, and then you know, Slick was a was a great manager. I had him for a manager. Uh, I had J.J. Dillon as a manager. Uh, I had Kevin Sullivan as a manager at one time. So, I mean, I had. A, bunch of different managers, but, you know, probably Gary Hart was probably right up there at the top, so was Skandor, Akbar, he's probably right up there at the top, you know, because me and Gary used to travel a lot, I, you know, I'd do the driving and we'd go to the town together, and, you know, we'd, he was a really, you know, real, real intelligent person, you know, so we'd do a lot of talking on the road, and not necessarily wrestling talking, but a lot of history, trivia, and stuff like that, and so, and he was kind of in the office, so he'd go in there and throw him ideas about things we could do and stuff like that. Like, he did his hair, the hair match where he put his hair on the line and everything at one of the big shows. So, he came up with a lot of the ideas, came up with the denim jacket I ended up wearing and, and the Chicago, uh, pushing the Chicago team real heavy, you know, Halstead Street. He came up with that idea, came up with the, the, uh, tattoo thing and everything. So, you know, a lot of ideas came from Gary Hart. He was pretty, uh, a pretty smart man when it comes to professional wrestling. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And, of course, what would be kind of the lasting legacy of one-man gang, Hakeem, George Gray? Like, what's the, the legacy, the stamp that you leave behind in the wrestling business that you think, like, all the fans are going to remember you for? Uh, I don't, you know, that's, I can't even answer that one. I have no idea. I guess, you know, I really don't know, how, you know, what to say about that one. I don't know nothing about legacies or anything like that. You know, I'm just, I'm glad I was, you know, got to 
being the era and Russell at the time I got to Russell was, you know, against against certain guys and with certain guys, you know, I mean I mean, you know, you got I mean, uh, I got to team up with Rick Flair, I got to you know, never got to actually go against him, but I got to team up with him on the same team. You know, I got to wrestle against the Funks, both of those, you know, Dory and Terry and like I said, team up with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen and got to wrestle Andre and in and his prime before he got all crippled up later in life and you know, so my man, who can uh, I mean that's the greatest era ever to be in, you know, so like nowadays if if I would end up trying to be a wrestler, say, you know, nowadays I, I don't even think I could do it, you know, I believe not not now my age, I'm talking about even if I was younger. Right. So I don't think you know. I don't think I could do the way their style is nowadays. Even with WWF, I couldn't take a. Uh, you know, they couldn't give me a three-page thing of uh, dialogue, and I'd have to memorize it. I don't. I just don't think I could do that. I don't. You know, it just seems. How can you go out there and memorize dialogue, and that's going to be your your promo? You know, how can you do that and be yourself? You know, you got to come across as a certain way you can't how do writers write who you're going to be i don't understand how that works but that's what they do you know and i, I just i wouldn't fit in with that at all i'll just be honest with you all this talking two hours three hours over a match or whatever i just i would never fit in with that we our matches usually was like all you got was how it was going to end and past that it was <laughs> you didn't do anything you didn't hardly talk any before the match. You just got dressed, went out there and and you know, it entertained the people and they usually came across pretty good, so you know, so I, I just wouldn't fit in with this uh wrestling world nowadays at all. So Well, April twenty fifth, to remind everybody, you will be in Rome, Georgia at the Superstars of Wrestling Convention. Thanks to Scott Wilder Promotions and Gimmick Entertainment. Check them both out on Facebook. And definitely head over to that event. It's going to be a huge, huge show. And, of course, Modern Vintage Wrestling that night will have the annual Bruiser Brody Cup, which you will be involved in. So I highly suggest the fans, if you want to meet a great wrestling legend, you're in Rome, Georgia, April 25th. It's going to be a huge convention, huge show. Meet the one-man gang slash Hakeem. Definitely going to be worth it. Uh, Hakeem, a.k.a. the one-man gang, thank you so much for all the time you gave us tonight. It's awesome to talk to a living legend like yourself. I don't know about a living legend, but uh, thanks for having me on the show. And, you know, hope to see everybody in Rome, Georgia in April. And I'll be there. If you want to talk wrestling, come by. We'll talk wrestling. That's what, you know, I, I love to talk about wrestling. So, you know, thanks again for uh, having me on the show. And... Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I appreciate all the time you gave me tonight. Thank you so much. Okay, man. It's no problem at all. You take care of yourself, and yep. everybody listening, take care of themselves. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.